Good morning. How are y'all today? Everybody warm? <laughs> a couple of you are. I was freezing. I, Kurt looks warm right now. I mean, I actually am a little jealous. You look like you were warm and toasty in that coat. But uh, uh, we're glad you guys chose to come out. We know it's a, a cold day, and uh, I don't want to. I don't want to jinx anything, and I don't want to hyper-spiritualize anything, but I'm really praying for some snow this week. Is anybody else with me? All right, I'm ready for a snow day. Um, We haven't had one, and I don't mean like a little dusting that we call off everything. I mean, we need just a dump of snow, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it just needs to, you know, anyways, all right. So uh, anyways, we're hoping for that, and some of our kids are hoping for that as well. I'm going to let you guys head back to Kidmo. Some of our parents are thinking, ah, please don't snow. Then we stay home with the kids and we go crazy. We're all getting ready to go get milk uh, and bread at the store. But uh, hey, it could be a fun week. So um, you're all welcome at our house for sledding. We have kind of an obstacle sledding course at our house. So you're welcome to come do that. You've got you to make some, t- some turns in the road. And hope nobody's coming up the blind hills. But uh, some fun requires a little bit of danger. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so you're welcome to come if you can make it to our house to snow, uh, if to a sled if it snows. Uh, we're continuing our series called Consumed. Uh, again, let me just uh, echo what David said and thank everybody that helped with our parents' night out. If you were a beneficiary of that, then I'm sure you appreciate that. Be sure you let people know how much you appreciate them. And uh, to be able to go out, and, and Deidre and I had a good date last night, and I hope that you all had, have had just a good week uh, overall. But be sure and thank those that give of themselves to serve us, and uh, all of our volunteers that were here early, even when it was cold. It was a pretty day, but very cold, and they were here to serve, and we, we are so appreciative of you as well. Uh, so last week, we started a new series on worship, but we wanted to talk about worship in a little bit different way. Worship in the church, in kind of the modern church, it tends to get handled kind of consistently about music. And the problem with the discussion about music is it's incredibly subjective. Uh, whether or not you like a style of music, you can form an entire theological argument about the kind of music you like. The problem is, is that's not worship. I mean, that is a portion of worship, but when we define all that worship is based on music, then we miss so much more because worship at its core is a heart activity. So whenever we do have times of worship like this morning, this is an opportunity for your heart to worship, though a person can sit through an entire worship service and have zero impact on themselves or zero worship in their relationship with God. Yet a person who's not sitting in the middle of a worship service can have a very meaningful time of worship with God if that heart activity is active within them. And so what we're trying to do in these three weeks of Consumed is we're trying to look at worship a little bit differently. But if we are really going to get to the heart of the matter, the truth is worship is central to your and my life. In fact, right now, there is something that is inhabiting the part of your heart that that is made to worship. You are worshiping something right now. Now, I don't know what that is. There are times that we, you know, know exactly where our hearts are. We know exactly what our focus, our priorities are in tuned with. And then there are times that, let's be honest, we don't always recognize those things. So last week, as we discussed what does it look like to be consumed with worship, we truly looked at the reality that 
whatever is the deepest desire and priority of our hearts is the thing that holds that position of worship for us. And we do have a choice about what that thing is. Now today what I want to talk to you about is how do we understand how important worship is in everyday life? Because you have the opportunity to be consumed into worship and into the things by which we worship. But we also have the opportunity to be consumed by them. And once you begin to be consumed by the things you worship, here's what happens. Your life begins to get very difficult and very frustrating and very empty very fast. Once the things that we worship consume us, then we begin to just get burned out and burned up. Now, some of you know what that feels like. And because you and I tend to segment our lives, we may experience burnout in one side of our life. And then in another side of our life, we feel that we're kind of getting built back up. And it's kind of this consistent, I'm getting refueled and then I'm getting emptied back out. And so if we had our choice, we would choose to be in the side that's kind of fueling us up. But in reality, we all have to live in some portions of our life where we're getting burned out. What we worship has a dramatic impact on that true dynamic in your life. So as we're going through these, I hope that you're having an opportunity, number one, to escape the typical worship argument, making it about what kind of music is it. But instead, you're beginning to assess where is my heart really lying? What is really the center of my attention? What is that thing that I am beginning to become like? We looked at theologian N.T. Wright saying when he said, when you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. So if you don't know what holds center value in your life, you may not realize that you're, it is shaping who you are and who you're becoming. Who, what we worship determines somewhat of what we are to become. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be looking at a couple of different places. This morning we're going to start in Romans chapter 8. And I want to start today with kind of an uncomfortable truth. Something that we don't really like to talk about because it doesn't feel good. It's something that the world doesn't like for us to talk about. And many churches will try to ignore this fact because it's so uncomfortable. But if we are to read scripture and believe what it says, then this is absolutely true about you and about me and about anyone that ever lives. And that is that we are born into this world destined for destruction. So we're born into. Now, for some of us, we have kind of, you know, rose-colored glasses the way we view the world. And everything's good and everything's going to be fine. Nothing bad's going to happen. And one of the reasons that we have people, so many people in our country, that have rose-colored glasses about the world is because we are very much sheltered from a lot of the pain and suffering that goes on all around the world. I mean, if you're paying attention to what's happening in Europe, in, well, in Denmark this weekend... If you're looking at what's happening in the Ukraine, if you're looking at what's happening in the Middle East, you know, these things that are happening are causing great pain and great anguish amongst the people of the world. But we have an ability to shelter ourselves and think everything's just fine, it's going to be okay. 
Events like 9-11 happen. It kind of shakes our worldview a little bit. But the truth is, the world understands that we are on a path of destruction. They may not be able to quantify it or know how to change it. The bumper sticker that says, if we just love each other, there'll be no more war, is unrealistic. That's not the way the world is going to end with everyone in a big group hug. It's not going to happen. But we do understand by reading scripture that we, when we enter into this world, we are destined for destruction. Now, some people self-destruct on the way, but at the end, we know that there is going to be a judgment for all, whether we knew Jesus or not. And for those that didn't, there is a destruction. Now, we can stop here, and this could be a real good talk, right? Go out and be destroyed. That would be a great way to end a service, right? But when we begin with this baseline of understanding this reality, we begin to understand what Scripture says about living life and what we worship differently. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Well, before we do that, let me get through my notes here. I need, I, you need to distinguish and this road that we're destined for to distinguish between the desires of the flesh, the work of the spirit, and the needs of the soul. We're going to look at all three of those over these next few minutes. What are the desires of the flesh, the work of the spirit, and the needs of the soul? And what I want you to understand as we move into this is that worship at its core not only gives adoration and praise to God, it meets some of the longings and the needs of our souls. Have you ever thought that there is something deep within you, a longing, a need, a want, a desire that you can't quantify? But it's there. When there's an absence, you recognize there's an absence of something. You may not be able to describe it. You may not be able to explain it. If someone says, hey, I can help meet that need, just tell me what it is. I can't really explain it. There's just this deep longing within me that something's not right and something is empty that's not supposed to be empty. And for many of us, our worship gets out of whack because we misunderstand what those longings are. Those needs of the soul. We need to understand that those needs were placed there by our creator. And once he placed them there, he also placed an opportunity for those needs to be met. And at the same time, he's given us the opportunity to choose otherwise and try to satisfy them with things that lead to destruction. We have a choice to make. To let those needs be met or to sacrifice for an alternative that utterly consumes us. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 talks a little bit about this relationship. It says in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the, the scripture of the gospel. This is the hope of, re, of redemption, of rescue, of resurrection. Even though we are destined for destruction, we are also given an opportunity for hope. And so there is no condemnation or no destruction For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. In other words, many of you are living a worldview believing that your behavior determines your goodness. If I behave well, I'm a good person. 
If I behave well, God's happy with me and God may grant me certain desires that I bring to him because he's happy with me because I'm acting good. And many of us actually live this reality in our lives only to find out that it is empty and false and does not hold water. For the law of the spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Our goodness cannot meet that need. Our good behavior cannot satisfy that emptiness. Our choosing to do things a certain way is not going to save us from destruction. And even though you may be able to sit down there and expound on the gospel about what it means... It doesn't mean that you're living it inside. You're still trying to let your behavior determine your goodness. It's hard. Complicated. These longings of the soul cannot be met by by mere attempts to be good. But that's what many will do. And that in and of itself will begin to be distorted. It says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Your works can't do it. Your goodness can't do it. The worship style can't do it. The church that you attend can't do it. He had to send his own son in the likeness of flesh. He was condemned. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's the only way that that can happen. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is where we begin to enter the conversation about worship. There is a difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. Now, I know that for many of you, if you have attended church at all, if you listen to any Christian radio, if you've been attending Journey at all, then you have heard this difference between walking in the spirit and flesh. And some of you may have heard it so much, so often, that it's just become just another background noise in your spiritual life. Yeah, flesh, spirit, whatever. But this is the key to what worship is. The key to how are we walking in life, walking in the spirit, walking in the desires of the flesh. One leads to health and wholeness. Another leads to destruction. The problem is if we don't have an adequate understanding of what true worship is, you and I will attend church. We will read our Bibles. We will give during the offering. We will go out and serve people outside the walls of the church. And yet we will still feel deep within us like we are on a path of destruction no matter how many good things we're doing and we will get frustrated and burned up and burned out and we'll give up because we don't feel any different are we supposed to feel different if we recognize these things if we change these thoughts shouldn't we want to be different shouldn't there be something that says mark that is a good thing you are beginning to be filled up and be satisfied and feel whole why so many times do we not feel that way? Do we feel empty and like this is meaningless? And sometimes our activity is just that activity with no spiritual, supernatural significance whatsoever. Why is that? Rather than being consumed into God, we feel that we're being consumed sometimes even by our own religious activity. There's a difference in walking in the flesh 
walking in the Spirit. And because we are so intent on living our lives through the eyes that God gave our bodies, we may miss the thing that gives us true sight, the Spirit. Verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, as we've already said, you can be incredibly religious. You can be very active in religious things. You can be reading the latest books on the bestseller list at Lifeway. You can be attending church and you can be involved in groups and you can be serving in kids ministry or serving in coffee bar or serving in any number of ways. Be doing all of these things and yet be completely empty in the way that you're living your life. And you will get frustrated because you have come to believe that your activity is what determines what brings you health and wholeness. It's my activity. If I just do the right things, then I'll feel better about myself. And yet so many people within the church leave the church because after years of trying, they still don't feel any different and they get frustrated. And I can guarantee you that is a frustrating place to be. Yet there is another way. And for many who are living in that frustration, they are living in it because it's a worship issue. It's not a doctrine issue. It's not a theology issue. It's not an activity issue. It's a worship issue. Because rather than being consumed into God, we're being consumed by the things that we're seeking after. And just like any addictive behavior, it causes a craving in us that does not satisfy that craving. It just deepens the craving and gives it more and more power over us. Because we're trying to sustain and fulfill ourselves with something that just takes away. It's a worship issue. For some of you, this is kind of a new concept. Worship. I mean, we do worship on Sundays. And, you know, I don't know about the other stuff. We understand worship just being the Sunday morning deal. Then our hearts are actually worshiping something other than God. Bottom line. Bottom line, so our churches are shrinking. Our church is not, churches are not dying. There are still just as many believers as there ever have been. Those who are attending, who have never truly wanted to follow Christ, are leaving church services. And so we say the church is dying. Church isn't dying. People who know Jesus still know Jesus. People who see differently still see differently. But people who want to be involved in religious activity is decreasing. And everyone says that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. Because one of the worst ways to live your life is lying to yourself, believing you are somewhere when you are somewhere else. It's one of the worst things in life. If people have to walk away from worship services to recognize there's a worship problem, then walk away, deal with the worship problem. Because that is the only thing that brings wholeness and satisfaction. As long as we allow people to be fooled, we're not doing them any favors. If we can show them what it truly means to know Jesus, then there's hope for that. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
Verse 7 says, for those that, whose mind, those that don't have the heart centered where it's supposed to be in worship, they are actually hostile to God. It is possible for you to believe that you're okay with God, yet you are actually living in a hostile life towards him. How is that possible? Does God make it so complicated and so many hoops to go through and so many obstacles? And, and who's to determine, well, then what are the behaviors you're supposed to do? But the truth is, none of that will work. Only until we understand what are the deepest, truest desires of our heart that we are pursuing. That's all that can change. It says, it does not submit to God's law. It cannot submit to God's law. I've shared a story. I haven't shared it in a long time. I've shared a story about a man that I invested in for years. And uh, he was outside the church. He was a family member of some good friends of ours. And I would go and, and visit with him over and over and over again. And would just, uh, you know, try to, to be a different source of encouragement. He had everybody else telling him how bad a guy he was because he didn't go to church. Because all his neighbors went to church. And. So I, I just chose a different path. I'm just going to go love this guy, be there for this guy, talk to him, see what's going on. And uh, over time, he began to get sick. His body began to give out. And uh, ultimately, he was gone. He died. Uh, our hope is that, he, that at some point he had made a decision to know Christ. But he had absolutely made a decision to never be a part of the church. And his reasoning was this. I know the people who go to that church... And I know the way they are during the week. And they're no better than me. Why do I need God? <laughs> what do you say to that? I mean, what do you say to that? Well, they're sinners saved by grace. Well, that doesn't mean anything when they treat you poorly during the week. I know, I know. I just really treated you bad. I, lost, I cost you your job. And I told all these people these bad things about you. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. All the power of the gospel leaves when you embrace the idea that I can treat people poorly. doesn't matter what you say about the gospel, it will not make an impact. See, the truth is, is that there are many people that have attended churches that we've been a part of that have never submitted their heart to Christ and the legacy that they left in the people around them was dark because they were not able to truly follow God. Because a person whose worship is not centered on him, but is centered somewhere else, cannot please God and is hostile to God. That's how serious worship is. It's how serious the motivations of our heart is. This is a serious issue. But the problem that we face living in the world that you and I live on is when we face a serious issue, we assume there's a complicated solution. The complicated solution that a lot of people won't find and most of us won't ever be able to fulfill. But that's not true. So what are we to do? Verse 9 says, you, those who know Jesus, those who have chosen a different path, those who have decided I'm going to deal with this worship issue of my heart, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, there is a difference between the flesh and the spirit. We live in these two different worlds. You can choose which one you're going to live in. And some of us also often choose on a daily basis. Today I was in the flesh. Tomorrow I'm going to be in the spirit. Or today I was in the spirit. Tomorrow I hope, I hope I'm still in. You know, we can choose which world we're living in. Based on what we give priority in our lives. 
you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the hope of salvation. It doesn't just come when we die. It comes at the moment we surrender and we receive the Holy Spirit within us. Everything changes. And we live differently. But see, it's where our heart is set to worship that determines where we're going to live. So how do we understand this? Do we just make this about behavior? Do we give out a, 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 a checklist? Don't do this, do this, don't do that, do this. And we go through each day and make sure we checked all the right boxes. Is that, is that what it really means to deal with a heart of worship? I can tell you that different periods of my life I've attempted to do that. And yet it never brings satisfaction. Hey, it may lessen a sense of guilt. But guilt has never been something that God wants his followers to carry with them. Whenever I make it about checking the boxes, if I miss one, I feel really guilty. And that is not God's desire as his child for me to live life feeling guilty. That's not something that he says. If you follow me, you'll have no guilt. But if you mess up, then you're going to be guilty. God never says that's the way we're going to live our lives. But yet many of us do. Many of us do. The truth about these desires of the flesh, this difference between where our heart is going to worship, is that the desires of the flesh, and you can read all kinds of lists in Scripture, are always cheap alternatives to distract us while causing us to crave all the more. So you have an opportunity to pursue the thing that really matters in life. You have the opportunity to pursue pursue things that bring life and wholeness and health and hope. But there's always going to be a nagging voice that's going to tell you, ah, don't worry about that. Worry about the things that you care about. What are the things that really matter to you? And the purpose of that voice is to distract you from the thing that truly brings health. And instead, it just causes you to crave. Causes you to hunger. Causes you to never be satisfied. The things that the world values are the things that God says, those are the path to destruction. And that's why that's the wide road that so many choose. But the narrow road, the one that is harder traveled, the one that doesn't let you just say, Mark, whatever you want, you can have. is the one that leads to life. But there's something in us that tells us don't pursue that. It won't give you what you want Remember, this is your life. You can get out of it what you want to get out of it. You don't have a role or responsibility to anybody. They have a responsibility to you. That's why so many people are depressed, wore out, and ready to give up. Why our churches are full of it. Rather than helping to fill people up. Because we've we've chosen to worship something other than God. So how do we do that? Let me just give you, I want to give you a few things. I want to just pique your thinking on a few things. 
But ultimately, these are all things you have to decide yourself. I can't give you a formula. I can't give you a scripture that makes it all easy. These are hard decisions we each make in our daily lives. But the payoff is huge. It's huge if we choose. You will be consumed by your desires. You can bank on it. You can write it down. You can put it on your mirror. You can put it on the fridge. You can put it on your rearview mirror in the car. You will be consumed by your desires. Bottom line, period. You will be consumed by your desires. Anyone that doesn't acknowledge this has not yet stopped to reflect on their life. Your desires will consume you. I have a problem with some of my desires because some of my desires are very cool. Anytime we start looking for a car, Deidre will tell you my biggest weapon in in my arsenal to secure a new vehicle is that I pick away at her until she crumbles into a sobbing, weeping mess and says, go ahead. (laughs) It's not exactly like that, but it's sometimes similar. And she'll tell me, you just pick away at me. You just pick away at me. And I I do. I've got to be honest. Sometimes I do that. Because there are sometimes I desire something new and shiny. Anybody else? Nobody there. Uh, yeah, uh, Bruce got a Mustang on the way to church today that he's going to let me borrow, right? Yeah, well, he didn't say he's going to borrow. I have a need for shiny things. I like shiny things. Shiny things get my attention. A little glimmer makes my eye go boop right there. Cars are one of them. Now, we have been um, fortunate enough to be poor most all of our lives, and so it mitigates uh, most of my desire for some of the nicer vehicles that are out there. I'll never own a gold-plated car. I'll look at them. I, I may even ride in one. I'll never drive one because I don't want to have to pay, uh, you know, when I wreck it. But those desires, what I have learned about myself is, is that once I, when I get trained in on something that I want, anybody else do this? When I get trained in on something I want, I can't turn it off. I can't turn it off. I think about it. I research it. By the time I pick Deidre apart until she's just a, a shuddering mess in the floor, I have researched everything about it. And I know 15 reasons why our life will literally end if we don't go buy this thing. It will be over for us. Our kids will die in a horrible heaping mess as well if we don't have heated seats. That's how desires work. You see, our desires begin to tell us you will not be full unless you have this thing. Now, some of you could care less about shiny stuff. In fact, shiny stuff makes you want to puke. But there's something else for you. There's something else that drives you that you may not have it about a car, but you may have it about something else. It may be about the relationship that's going to make you feel whole and complete. And so you can't stop thinking about that person that will make you finally feel whole and complete. And you crave and you look and you hope and then you try to figure out, well, why? what do I do to make me attract that person? And even though I can go pull the trigger and buy a car and silence that for a moment... Relationships are a lot harder. 
Because some of us got into relationships and we thought they were great and they ended up being terribly destructive. And then we were even more confused than we were before. Some of us are not in the pursuit of a relationship. We're in the pursuit of pleasure. And so that thing that has center stage for our lives is pleasure. I want to love life. I want to enjoy life. I want to feel life. I want things to feel good. Another one of my desires is to make sure that my taste buds are constantly happy. Constantly. And sugar and grease and bad stuff makes my taste buds happy. But it makes the rest of me very sad. But if I let worship be pleasure, then I end up creating a craving that will never be satisfied. Just one more. Just one more. Just one more M&M. Just one more Hershey Kiss. Just one more French fry. Just one more sandwich. Just one more burger. Just one more. Just one more. Just one more. You get it, right? You get this craving because you've all felt it in some piece of your life. For some of you, it's professional. I must reach a level in my profession that I finally know I'm successful. And so you keep doing everything you have to do to get that job. You keep working late and coming in early. You keep saying yes to the things you know you should say no to. You keep trying to make happy the people that are never going to be happy. And you find yourself trying to mold yourself so that you can reach this level of profession that you may never get to. And there's this craving because you feel that you're right now a failure where you are. And so you keep trying and profession becomes the thing that we worship. Success got to have it. But just like the car, just like the taste buds, just like the relationships, also in our jobs. When that becomes our object of worship, it is a distraction from what can truly bring wholeness, which is what you're looking for with the car, with the food, with the relationship, with the job. If you really get to the center of it, what you're looking for is the sense of, made it got it we're here that's what we're looking for it's that sense of that elusive (sighs) finally we can relax we can enjoy this and then they came out with a heated steering wheel right heated seats aren't so great anymore and then there was a sugar substitute Of course, there's not a single natural thing in it. And my blood now could, you know, glow in the dark if I wanted to. But man, it tastes good. There's always that next thing. That craving kicks back in. That elusive, ah, everything's okay. It's gone. You realize that's not a metaphysical, not metaphysical. That's not a physical, it's not a metabolic issue. Could be a metaphysical issue. I don't know. It's not a metabolic issue. It's not the way you were raised. It's not the socioeconomic level that you live in. It's not the people you went to school with that post on Facebook that they're now the highest earner in their industry and you're still one flipping burgers, you know. It's all a worship issue. 
All of this is a worship issue. What you'll find, and we're going to talk a little about this next week, what you'll find as you read through scriptures, most of scripture is written so we can adjust our view of what worship is. All the behavioral things that people say, yeah, well, if you're going to live by grace, you shouldn't be teaching all these behavioral things. You'll, you'll begin to realize that when Jesus says, act like this and not like this, he's doing it to combat one, one of these false distracting things that we worship. He says, listen, you're going to so be tempted to go in this direction, but if you will just turn around and do what is truly leading to health, then you'll keep your worship where it should be, and then it will lead to wholeness. Most of Scripture is about worship. The Ten Commandments, about worship. Sermon on the Mount, about worship. The Epistles, worship. Apostles, worship. All of it is really about worship. If we embrace the idea that by worshiping our Creator satisfies all these things, it changes the game for you. Many in our churches have not figured this out. We've tried to allude to it, but it hasn't worked. So I'm trying to be very obvious. I'm trying to be very out front with this. You will be consumed by your desires. If your life becomes so overwhelming and the path to get out of it feels like it's too much, then we often choose a path of addiction. It helps us escape for a moment because I want to escape. I want to get away. Now, some of your paths to addiction wasn't about escape. It was about peer pressure in school, and everybody did it, and the cool kids did it. And one of the most difficult places to begin to understand what we're going to worship is whenever you're in school. It's one of the most difficult times of your life. As you get older, as you get to be an adult, you get busy, the things become distracting. You care a little less about peer pressure. You're just trying to get through the day and get through your responsibilities. But in school, that is when you begin to ask yourself, what will I let have center focus of my life. One of the most uh, insecure times of your life is in school. It's where you figure out how you're going to live. Whenever you see someone who's confident, you will often take on their attributes if you're not confident because what you want is confidence. Sometimes the path to, to addiction is based on the partying that you can do with the popular kids. Because they don't want to do it either. But somebody said, this is, how you, this is the road to confidence. This is the road to getting to where you want to be. This is the road to success. And that craving began. The craving got deeper and harder. We couldn't. took over. For all of us, our deepest need is to avoid personal worship. Because we will try to worship ourselves inevitably. You will do it. You were born on the path of destruction. That path of destruction is personal worship. I just want to make sure my needs are met. My wants are met. My desires are met. See, for parents, one of the things that we like to do is give things to our kids. And sometimes whenever we have to say no, we don't want to say it. But we say no. Because if they begin to understand, this is a look for you guys. I'm give you a little hint. If we don't say no, they begin to believe they deserve everything they want. And if they grow up to be an adult with that mindset, they will have a very difficult life. Because they will learn that's not how the world really works. 
Mom and dad can make it that way for a time. That's not how the world works. And it leads to depression. And it leads to kids wanting to live with their parents forever. Just provide this false sense of reality for me. But the truth is there are some hard lessons to learn. That's why we sometimes say no. We want to feel like our needs are the most important thing in the world. For some, validation is the desire of the flesh. I just, I'm going to surround myself with people that tell me I'm right. So we want to be validated. But yet there are times we all need somebody in our life to tell us we were wrong. Need to change. Need to be different. And there's not a one of us who enjoys that conversation. But we all need it at some time or another. We seek validation and that becomes the thing we worship. We will become whatever we have to become to be validated. We will say what we have to be to be validated. As we look in our world, it's no wonder that sexuality is worshipped by so many people. It is the thing by which people worship the most in our nation. We worship sex. We find all kinds of ways to justify it and say that it's not that big a deal. And in the church, we talk about how beautiful it is because we don't want to seem irrelevant in a world and culture that's so dominated by this discussion. But the truth is it can be an incredibly wonderful thing or it can lead to incredibly destructive behaviors. I find it fascinating all this hullabaloo over 50 shades of gray. I haven't commented on any of them because, honestly, I'm so sick of the conversation. It's just sickening to me. But the truth is that many of us will justify where we let our eyes go, we let our minds go, we let our bodies go. We will justify it under the worship of pleasure. And it leads to a craving that cannot be fulfilled. See, our desires will control us. When we justify our desires, the enemy is one. When we find scripture that proves that our desires were always God's intent, whenever he has clearly said they were not, then we're going to be consumed by them. It's the path of destruction. I've got a few others. I'm going to skip on those. Power. I want to be in control of other people. That means all the relationships that I'm going to have, I'm going to make sure that you're weak and you're not confident. You'll do whatever I say because I crave power. Judge, being judgmental. My need is to know that I'm right. Therefore, I'm going to point out every time you're wrong and I want you to know when you're wrong so you will begin to believe that I'm right. Even though deep inside of me, I am so not confident in myself. But I will judge you so that you think that I'm right and you're wrong. As much as possible. Do all these things. I wrote this. I am going to say this because I think this is important. The judgment of the church. The church right now is under an immense amount of judgment from society. Saying that the church is irrelevant. The church doesn't matter. That, that pastors are horrible people. That people who attend church are weak-minded, feeble people. We're being judged left and right by all these people. And so what do we do? We go, oh, no, 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 we're not. No, we're not. No, 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 no. I'm going to write a book on how we're not. And I'm going to point out all these ways that we're cool like you. And it's the wrong way to go. The judgment of the church over its lack of holiness. 
In other words, we didn't do the right thing. We didn't appear to be holy for others. It is an attempt to distract believers and the world from our true need for salvation. You need to understand the blogs that are being written, the posts on Facebook, the commentators on the news, the commentators on late night shows that make fun of the church. They're trying to distract from what the world needs, which is salvation. Now get this. If there is a difference between the desires of the flesh and living within the spirit, and we can only do that through the spirit living in us, you and I are incapable of holding a level of holiness that the world says, the only way I believe in your God is if you will do it all on your own and show it to me in a perfect way. Well, that negates the gospel. We cannot do it. And so we will always be a group of people that are messing up. And therefore, if you will only follow Jesus, if you see a group group of people who never mess up, you will never follow Jesus. We cannot as a church convince the world that, hey, we really are holy. We're not holy. Jesus in us is holy. We have just been given grace. Do you understand? This is still all a worship issue. The world is trying to defend their personal worship, their worship of individuality, their worship of sexuality, their worship of power, their worship of success. They're trying to defend that as if it's good and worthwhile and everybody should validate my personal worship. But because you guys aren't perfect, I reject the idea that I should worship God. And so people are dying People are frustrated. People are hopeless. Depression is at the highest level, the immeasurable history. And no one stops to say, maybe we're worshiping the wrong thing. Maybe the wrong thing has center value in our lives. No one stops and says that. They find something else to blame or someone else to blame. If we can be holy on our own, there will be no more need of Jesus. And the church would not exist. All right, I've got about two more hours to go. So let me see where I want to make sure we cover today. Um, All right, let me just, let me give you some homework. John chapter 2, verse 13 through 22. It's the story of uh, Jesus in the temple courts. It's the idea that we see worship, the difference and how Jesus responds to those who have chosen to worship something other than God. Um, if that's not, if it's not our particular problem, we glaze over this and go, go get them. Jesus, if we put ourselves in the category of those selling stuff in the market, we see that that's how Jesus responds to us worshiping something other than him. Then things get a little more intense. It's a good thing to go back and read the difference, the money changers in the temple, those that take the place where worship is most visibly signified and they make it about their own financial gain through cheating people coming to authentically worship for sacrifices. And he he reacts very strongly because worship is a central issue for us. It's what most of what he taught was about. Go back and read that. Let me just, I want to give you this and then we're going to quit for today. I want to give you this. I told you there's a difference between the desire of the flesh, the needs of the soul, and the works of the spirit. The needs of the soul, I've already mentioned, those are the things that are put there by our creator. You were built with these needs that are there. 
God gave you that need. He gave you the source by which that need can be met. He also gave you the opportunity to try to meet it in some other way. There's only one that leads to wholeness and fullness and satisfaction. Needs of the soul. And if you're looking for that moment when you go, got there, happened, done. This is where it happens. And the needs of the soul are met. The needs of the soul are not the same as the needs of the flesh. The flesh is something temporary. The soul is eternal. For now, for you and I, the soul and the flesh are intertwined. There's a time coming when the flesh will be done away with and the soul will go on. The things that lead to true health and happiness and wholeness are those things of the soul that are eternal. And they are put there by God. So we must go to him to have those things fulfilled. And when we do, even when our flesh begins to decay, we are okay Because we have found true peace through the soul. And the works of the spirit, these things that we talk about, bottom line, if we put them down to really what they are, rather than trying to go into some big doctrinal discourse, the spirit works to fulfill the needs of the soul. That's what the spirit does. When you walk by the spirit, it begins to meet the needs of the soul. But we can limit that work. Of the desires of our flesh. When we allow ourselves to be consumed with the desires of the flesh, we never meet the deep groaning needs of the soul. The difference between trying to meet the desires of the flesh is it's a craving that goes on. Yet whenever we begin to meet the needs of the soul, it actually, those needs are met in full and that craving decreases. Because that's what we really wanted. There's a soul longing for restoration. There's a soul that's longing for restoration with the creator. There's a soul longing to get out of this messy world that we're in. There's a soul that's longing for healing. It's longing for hope. It's longing for transcendence above the things of the world that bring so much destruction. There is a deep longing for us to go farther than we ever will. If we follow the desires of our flesh. So how do we do this? I want to give you just one simple way. Because quite honestly, there's, there's not really a whole lot of simple ways to do this. Because worship is about sacrificing the desires that are unhealthy for the desires that are healthy. And I, it is just flat out hard. A sacrifice is a sacrifice. It's giving up something you want. Maturity leads you to a place that you begin to see how these other things are unhealthy. And so you choose to pursue the things that are healthy. That's what maturity brings you. But it doesn't make the sacrifice part any harder. If you've tried to give up smoking, you know what a sacrifice feels like. If you've been a part of using an addictive substance, you know what it's like to give that up. If you love to entertain your taste buds, you know how hard it is to eat a salad every single meal, right? I mean, I'm joking, but I'm not. Sacrifice is sacrifice. When I need to be validated and I'm going to give that up, that's, that's hard. When I want to be in control of your life and I got to give that up, that is I giving up something. That's hard. When I've let the things take center stage of my life and I have to stop and give those up, it is sacrifice that was demonstrated by Jesus. 
what it takes to get beyond the things of this world. There's a soul longing for restoration. So what is that one thing? This is the one thing I come back to. I will tell you that as a maturing Christian, you're going to move beyond the one thing. But this is where it all begins. And I will tell you no matter where you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter what role you play here at Journey or any other church you've been a part of, I will tell you that there are many times in my life I have to go back to this one thing. If there's one thing, this is the one thing. It's always the one thing. It will continue to be the one thing. And it never disappoints. It's always the one thing. And it's gonna, it is going to radically change your life, right? And it's this. Following Jesus is as simple as following his word. Following Jesus is as simple as following his word. He gave us his word for a reason. Now, you and I make it very complicated. We over-spiritualize things because in that over-spiritualizing, it allows us to intermingle the desires of our flesh with the worship of God. It intermingles it. If I can make this complicated, should I take this thing that someone left in front of me that belongs to someone else, yet would make my life so much easier? God, I've been praying that you would meet my needs. Have you put this in front of me to meet my needs? I mean, think, God, I know that I'm saved by grace and that I don't always understand how you're going to work, but the Bible says do not steal. Okay, there's no need to pray about it. It's not yours. It's somebody else's. They didn't give it to you. Don't take it. I'm going to tell you something. There are so many people that will go, God, I just don't. God, you know, this right here. I mean, nobody will know. And God, I know you want me to be happy. This is a huge lie. And you will spend so much energy and you will sweat and you will have anxiety over it when you just say, God, don't let me have that. Don't let me to steal. He may want to give me some other thing, some other way, but this is it. Oh, I'm done. All that anxiety is not even there. There's so many times for me that I get so caught up in the complexities of life. I get caught up in the complexities of work, complexities of church, complexities of family, complexities of what my hopes and dreams are for the future. I've got all these complexities that bring in. And then when I'm trying to solve several problems and all these complex things all at the same time, I get so frustrated. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm like, I start over-spiritualizing stuff. And you just go back to the one thing. Following Jesus is as simple as following his word. And it may be that in following his word may have nothing to do with the thing you're struggling with. But following his word puts God at the center of your worship. It's amazing what the grace and mercy of God is available to those who put God at the center of their worship. So many times, like, God, I don't know. Here's a relationship. I need, I need to go have this conversation. But if I do, then not only am I not going to have any validation, man, it's going to break the relationship. But this, I've got to have this relationship. I've got to have this conversation. I go back to Scripture and I'll say, okay, God, I just, I'm going to go back to the one thing. I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to do your word. I don't know about all this other stuff or how it's going to work out. But I'm going to do your word because I know that's important. I know that's the main thing. And I'll read something about worship, inevitably, about keeping God at the center of my priorities. God, this is the right thing to do. It's going to be a sacrifice for me to do the right thing. And it's going to hurt because sacrifice always hurts, but I'm going to do it. 
And in almost every case, there's peace that comes with that. Not anxiety, not over-spiritualizing. There's peace that comes with that because I'm where God wants me to be. As a follower of Jesus, being where God wants you to be is a source of peace. Even if nobody else wants you there. That's where God wants you. It's a source of peace. There's one thing. One thing. Go back. Scripture. We go, I know, but which part of Scripture? That is why we absorb our lives. Let Scripture be absorbed into every part of our lives. That's why we read just to read it. Just to know it. And that's why we're intentional about it. I'm going to leave you with this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes, which is impossible. You can't be wise in our own eyes. That's the point. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. And it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. We can be consumed into the worship of God. Or we can be consumed by our petty desires. No matter how important your desires feel, compared to God, they are petty. As he meets the longings of the soul. That's ultimately what all of us are looking for. Pray with me. Father, God, I thank you for all the mistakes that I've made. That you are a God of grace that invites me to be there with you. God, I pray for those in the room, and they know exactly how sacrifice feels. They felt that they've sacrificed their entire lives. Sacrifice for this, sacrifice for that. And they're not even sure they've got anything else to give. But God, you have given us hope, and you have given us peace, and you have given us a future with you. God, it is so difficult sometimes to know what has the center stage of our lives. Some of us have built a stage over the years and we are, our lives are playing out on it and we have learned to hate our lives. We have learned to hate the things that drive us. We want to stop, but we can't. We don't know how to stop because our cravings have become so strong. God, I pray that you would help us to escape the trap and the distraction of the world. God, help us to put our worship back where it belongs. The only thing that can sustain it the only thing that is worthy of it, you. Father, I pray for those, and they are so torn up this morning about, I don't, I don't know what to do next. But God, you've given us your word. I pray that you would not just open it up to them, but give them that great satisfaction of being in tune with your teachings. God, as we are trying right now as, as a church to navigate the dynamically changing world around us. God, I pray that we would never be so distracted that we forget that all we are are your children saved by grace through the sacrifice of your son. Let us walk through this world in humility and in repentance. Move us into the path of wholeness and health. Help us to escape the distractions that inevitably pop up in our minds and our hearts. Thank you that you are worthy of worship. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.